Welcome to Virtual Student Experiences, where we inspire students to aspire. For more information, please check out our website at www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Virtual Student Experiences Season 2 webinar. Today's webinar will focus on neurology. If you're new to our program, Virtual Student Experiences is a pro bono initiative spearheaded for students by students. We at Virtual Student Experiences want to be the inspiration for aspiration. Our goal is to give students a well-rounded sense of what a career is and an opportunity to hear from professionals in their career industry of interest in a friendly and casual setting. If you're a student that knows what you want to do in the future, we at VSC want to encourage, allow, and connect you with professionals. Through VSC, students are given the chance to decide if their career of choice fits their skills, personality, and overall interests. Um, so through VSC, you'll be able to hear from a wide variety of guests from a variety of seniority levels. To find out more information and to sign up to be notified about upcoming webinars, you can visit www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. And before we get started, I just want to go over some quick housekeeping things, so hang on tight. Firstly, I'm going to be asking our guest professional that I'll introduce in a second, a series of base knowledge questions so that you can get a good idea of really who he is and what he does. If at any time you have a question that you think of, feel free to post it in the Q&A module down below and we will get to it in the latter part of the webinar. We highly recommend you ask questions during this webinar because it is an opportunity to hear from uh, or to get an answer uh, right here right now instead of reading about it later on the internet. And quickly introducing our VSC team uh, volunteers, we have Buddy, Gabby, Jonathan, Coco, and Tommy. And without further ado, our guest today is Dr. Richard Joseph. Dr. Richard Joseph began his veterinary-centered career at the La Universidad Autonoma de Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. He then received his Doctor of Veterinary Medicine degree uh, from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. After many internships and residencies, Dr. Joseph has been acting for over 31 years as a consulting neurologist at Antec Diagnostics. He's also the co-founder and president of Animal MRI, which provides MRI services to veterinary hospitals. Uh, and in addition, Dr. Joseph holds a part-time role at Guardian Veterinary Special, uh, Specialists, where he practices neurology. His extensive knowledge as well as years of experience have helped many patients and will continue to help many patients in the future. So thank you very much for joining us today, uh, Dr. Joseph. Thank you very much for that introduction. Um, it's very, very nice. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. to speak. And I'm looking at your, your slogan and inspiring students to aspire, I guess, is, is phenomenal and not to perspire. Because if it's really stressful for you to come up with a career, maybe that would cause a lot of perspiration. So I'm hopefully going to make it make uh, at least your exposure to um, veterinary medicine uh, uh, and hopefully be able to answer a question. So this will be a meaningful time that we spend together. Of course, thank you very much. Um, and I guess to start off, can you tell us what neurology really is and maybe how you got into that field? Yeah, neurology, well, as we all know, the, the body is divided into organ systems. So specialization is the, the um, the focus of a doctor in one particular area so they can be the, the master of one. Instead of the jack of all trades, like a general veterinarian would have to know everything, just like your family doctor. 
if you have a problem that's more advanced, they would refer you to a specialist. So special, specialty medicine's probably been about 25 years in veterinary medicine. There's only about 200, maybe 250 neurologists in the United States. When I became a neurologist, probably around 70. Neurology is the evaluation of the nervous system, which is basically the brain, the spinal cord, and the nerves that leave the brain to go to the head and leave the spinal cord to go to the limbs. That's the peripheral nervous system. So we deal with disorders that include changes in mentation or recognition, awareness, you know, behavior, and animal surroundings, how they interact. We deal with seizures. That's a not uncommon episodic problem that we deal with, an animal who convulses. We deal with gait-related disturbances of balance system of the spinal cord, and then a variety of conditions that cause weakness with the peripheral nervous system. So that's pretty much what we, what we are uh, focused on. That's great. Um, and then I guess, where did your passion for this very unique kind of career and specialty begin? Yeah. Thank you for focusing me on the question. You did ask me that before, but I, um, I did one internship. So you go to medical school, you go to veterinary school and you graduate from veterinary school, you either go into general practice or you can go into advanced training. If you go into general practice, you hope that you'd be mentored in a good practice by, you know, someone who owns the practice, who's been doing it a long time and train you the right way. There's a lot of um, uh, students or graduates who become doctors who decide to do an internship. An internship is a rotation through medicine and through surgery. And so it gives you a very well-rounded um, uh, scope of the type of cases you see, the diagnostics, the, the, the diagnostic plans, et cetera. And if you do it at a busy hospital, I did my internship in New York City, we were seeing like 60,000 cases a year. It was, it's the busiest large animal teaching hospital. So I spent the year there and then I did a residency. So in my first year of residency, I rotated through all the medical disciplines. I rotated through, you know, cardiology, uh, kidneys, um, ophthalmology, neurology. So the last service I rotated through was neurology. And when I got to neurology, after I'd been exposed to all these other disciplines, I really liked neurology because it was, ex you had to rely on advanced testing which cost a lot of money and wasn't always readily available. So it was so important to develop a methodical uh, manner in which you evaluate a patient and you looked at the signs and you looked at what did they mean and to try to answer a basic question, do they have disease of the nervous system? And at, I was very inspired, just like hopefully I could inspire you, we all can expire, inspire you, is by my mentor because he would sit on a table. I love this story. He, he would sit on a table, we'd bring an animal out, and within like 30 seconds, he'd write on a pink card where he thought this dog's neurologic problem was in the nervous system. And I was like, you know already? You didn't even touch the animal. How do you know already? So as I became more familiar, more familiar, I started to recognize there's so much you can tell from the history, so much skill you could develop from your observations. 
And then when you finally do your exam and you put it all together and you tell somebody, okay, your pet is these signs. It indicates a problem here because it came on this way. This is what we believe it has prioritizing the most likely to the least likely. This is how we find out what it is and how we treat it if you want to do evidence-based medicine. So it, it was a very organized discipline again with if they couldn't do MRI or they wouldn't go on, it was at least the ability to give them a handle of what's going on. A lot of people didn't understand neurology because any discipline that you don't focus on and you don't do enough of, because all disciplines have, all disciplines do have some methodology in how you do it. This, uh, this sparked me, you know, and, and it's really, it, it, it you know, I, I would never do anything else. It's, it's, that's why you know I'm almost 65 now, and I'm still in clinical practice um, because I enjoy it so much. That's great. That's really awesome. Um, and then, speaking of kind of like your ed education, um, your internships, your fellowships, were there any maybe requirements you had to meet that maybe other students doing a different field or maybe students pursuing a different career wouldn't have to necessarily meet? Well. Are you talking about the requirements to get into veterinary school? Yeah, whether it be medical school or maybe certain internships, fellowships, and even maybe your first job. Like, were there any special requirements that you had to fill? Um, well, to get into medical school or veterinary school, there's always a, a core group of basic sciences. Um, I, I can't really speak to this day and age, I can speak from, from my experiences years ago in that they had the core group, it didn't matter whether you had your bachelor's or not, if you did really well, you met the core group of science. Some people got in even after the, the third year of, of uh, you know, without their bachelor's. Um, in terms of, 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 of programs available, when I applied, and I know for a long time, it was very difficult to get into schools in the states and it still is there's a lot of foreign schools that are english speaking um like saint kitts is very popular i went to the dominican republic after i was in mexico for like three months it was terrible and i i just i never left anything and i was like i can't stay here that's a whole other story but um i don't think so much what is required should ever be the hurdle I think if somebody want, I was a psychology major for two years. I dropped out of my first biology class because I was afraid I was going to fail it. This is when I was a freshman. Who would have thought that I would go back after two years of being a psychology major and go back to the sciences and get almost straight A's by the time I graduated undergraduate. So it isn't so much what the path is, because it's daunting. If you got to think about four years of uh, undergrad, four years of veterinary school, three years of residency, and guess what? Now you can't just do an internship and get a residency. A lot of times you do an internship. I knew someone who did four internships before they just got a residency. So that person persevered. Think about what that could do to, to you, you know, as a person. You know, everybody knows you didn't get in four times, you know? So all we can do in life is 
try to expose ourselves to as much as we can. And that's why I was very eager and, and you know, we connected on LinkedIn because I think this is an awesome platform for students to get exposure and be able to ask, ask questions from people who actually live real life experiences. Granted, my life experience may differ in, in the career path that someone else would take, but to me, you gotta take it day by day. And if you, if you can decide what it is you want and you focus and you keep your eye on that goal, it, it should be pleasurable the whole way because you're working towards something. Nothing's better in life than to grow. You know, no one should be the same thing they are five years from now they are today, or even next year they are today. And so to decide that someone's going to be the best they're going to be at whatever it is that they're going to love, and that's the important thing, is do what you're going to love. And I also think it's important to do what you're going to be good at. Why pick the... Like if I had to play piano, because I love piano and I am so uncoordinated, why would I pick piano to be as my career? Pick it as my hobby and, and frustrate myself there. But if, if what I'm trying to say, if someone hates the sciences, really wants to be a doctor, but it's just gonna be so much harder for them and they're so good at something else. And that's actually something that happened with my son. For the longest time, he couldn't figure out what he wanted to do and he was a history major. So what ended up happening is he graduated. He didn't have a great cumulative average because he liked to drink and have fun. Why? Because he wasn't that interested. So he didn't get such a great cumulative average. He graduated with history and we were hoping maybe he'd go law, maybe he'd go um, figure out medicine. He didn't really want to be a professor. Like, what are you going to do? And it was bothering him, but he was really good at history. And now he decided that he's going to become um, a teacher for high school students. And he went to a university nearby and he's straight A's now in his master's. So what it shows me is that, and this would happen with me, when you're not really engaged and you're just going through the motions and you don't really find it piques your interest, then of course you're gonna be distracted by every other thing in the world. But once you have something you really feel a connection with, and unfortunately that's sometimes very hard to find, but once you feel that connection, then it, it usually ignites a spark in you that turbocharges your mission. <laughs> great. Thank you. That's great advice. Um, thank you for sharing those personal stories. Um, and then moving more into your experience section, can you maybe talk a little bit about your time um, at Antec Diagnostics? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. So, so I was an intern, then I became a resident, and then I actually learned acupuncture while I was a resident because I was very interested in it. In my third year of residency, I started answering phone calls for a national diagnostic lab. At that time, it wasn't called Antec. I started a house call practice in the last year of my residency. So I would get free lab work for just answering questions for veterinarians. And I would run around Manhattan doing acupuncture on animals. And it became unfortunately almost like a, a euthanasia service because so many people wanted their animals put to sleep, you know, euthanized in their home. 
So I have a lot of stories there. But anyway, so Antec was was some was a, then uh, the previous lab got bought out. Antec took over, and I've been a consultant with Antec. But that's a side job. I'm not. That's a. That's just something I do. Like I, I have another call. I'm going to call a vet. I just had two calls right now. So I they, they there's a queue, and they they want to ask a specialist, and who whatever neurologist available will answer the question, call the vet, and help them. So my main job, though, just so 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 that was a side thing. My main job was at Animal Medical Center in Manhattan, where I did my internship residency. My mentor left. I took his position, and I was on staff there for 17 years. So I trained hundreds of, of interns, many, many residents, foreign exchange students, lecturing you know, multiple times a year, either in small rounds. I ended up traveling to Japan for three weeks and went through five cities and gave lecture in Japan. I'm, just, I'm not trying to, this is all so everybody can understand, like if you want to get involved in specialty work, I mean, it's, there's a lot of uh, uh, ability to focus on things that interest you. So after 17 years, I kind of got a little tired of some of the bureaucracy and I wanted to open up my own hospital. So my last resident and myself, we, we started this MRI business. We bought our first MRI and it went around to three referral hospitals. And that was our first business that we owned that ended up doing very well. And then we got um, financial backing. We bought two acres of land and we built a 16,000 square foot hospital in Lower Westchester called Animal Specialty Center. This is where you can even get entrepreneurial because you know I'm a doctor, what am I doing building hospitals? Well, in veterinary medicine, this was what a lot of specialists would do because there's a demand. If you don't want to work for somebody and you want to try to create something yourself, it's a very exciting thing. So we built this hospital. We ended up having about 150 staff. We got into a little bit of financial problems in the beginning with our investor. So we ended up having to sell part of it to a corporation. That resulted about seven years later, my partner leaving, opening up Guardian, the one I help at now, because I since have left Animal Specialty Center. And then now for the past eight months or so, I'm working on a telemedicine platform. You can see behind me, Veterinarians on Call Network. Actually, that's not the logo. The, the new, that was my old logo. My new logo, let's see, I gotta shut my camera off, hold on. Just so you can see it. I like this logo better. So you see Vets on Call Network. You see the animals are going through the computer screen telling you that it's telemedicine to the doctor, illuminating a path for better veterinary care, a path through. And I'm hoping to work with Bronx Zoo or the zoos and help them. And I got a lot of, a lot of ideas and, and partnership opportunities, which again, all of this is 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 for me you never get tired you know there's always opportunity um and the harder you work and the more committed you are and the, the more devoted you are and don't let anything get in your way you know you you guys can aspire to 
you know, fulfill your dreams. I truly believe that. If you're on here, you can do it. That's great. Um, and then I guess over your years of experience and practice, how do you continue to really make progress in your work throughout uh, your years of practice? Just to explain what you mean by progress in my work. Progress meaning how do you kind of continue putting your best foot forward and how do you continue to really make developments that really could change or evolve, I guess, the practice? So the one thing is it's really important to teach because teaching is not just something that's good for, that's good for the student. It's actually good for the teacher because teaching allows one to exercise what they know and be challenged about what they know and make sure that what they don't know, if a student asks a question, that's a good question. You know what? I don't remember. I need to look it up. And so I've always had, for most of my career, I've always worked with, with students. Um, and it's a way also to give back because I was very fortunate. I remember growing, growing up in the field because before I became a veterinarian, I worked in a veterinary hospital and I was forever grateful for anyone who would give me the opportunity to learn from them because you, you can't, you know, book knowledge is one thing, but, but, but on the job training and actually the real world is the best way to learn. I mean, technicians, there's some technicians who never went to school. They learned everything on the job and they're better sometimes than the technicians who went to school in terms of their techniques and all this other stuff. So um, I would say always look at yourself as a teacher, always take every opportunity to learn, always, in your career, identify those people who are strong teachers and influences for you so that you can hopefully continue to go back to them if you need to. Because if you surround yourself by smart people, then that's gonna help you develop. And even if you have to volunteer or, you know, um, you know do things that you don't feel are are, um, you know, you're not really getting compensated or whatever. Sometimes people complain, oh, I'm doing this for nothing. Or, you know, all of this stuff at this point in life, anything that can give you exposure, anything that can give you skill, anything that can give you connections, you never know where it's going to take you. I had a high school student. She was self homeschooled. She came to me when she was 17 and she just wanted to hang out with, you know, and I was, amazed by her um, thought-provoking questions, her ability to assimilate information. Long story short, she, would, she ended up getting into Cornell and uh, she would come back and spend time with me every break she had. And it got to the point before she finished her undergrad, I had to review a text that I had five sections in you know, every five years, four years, it comes up for review. So I said, Ann, you've helped me with so much other stuff. You're, you know, I know you're not in vet school yet, but can you help me to see what we need to update? And could you do some of the research? 
And I went and I put her name on, I, I called the editor. I said, she's not a doctor, but she's going to help me. And I think she should get her name on this under, you know, in this book. I thought they'd say no way. They actually let her put me, help me put her name in the book so that by the, by the time she applied to vet school, she was a, an author, you know, in a book, which I thought was really good for a resume. And she ended up getting into Cornell vet school. Now she's a PhD in Cornell. And so reason why I'm telling you this story is you could see that if you, if you really apply yourself and you're, you know, you're easy to easy going, you're in, you know, you're inquisitive, but not, you know, um, you know, you're not overbearing in a way that you work within the system rather than try to have the system work for you. Then I think you could make connections that will hopefully serve you very well for the rest of your life, you know? Right. Um, you've spoken a lot about teaching and mentorship. So can you maybe talk a little bit about the importance or the value of mentorship? And I guess how a young student or how a young person might acquire a mentor? Okay, so if, if you had to work, if you were the owner of a factory and you wanted to make, uh, I don't know, let's say buttons that have to go into a button, your first prototype template for that button, if you don't make that first prototype template the way it should be, then every button after that is not going to be good. It has to be the first and the first has to be the best. So how can the first be the best? The only way the first can be the best is if number one, someone takes their training extremely seriously. Meaning you graduate vet school. Oh, I'm just going to go into practice. I'll learn away. But who's teaching you? Do you want to learn from a general practitioner and maybe learn his mistakes? And again, I'm not saying GPs make mistakes and, or, or do you, and maybe it's a good practice and you're going to take it over and he's a great. So sometimes some people want to learn from individual specialists because they know their area the best and the time of your career to be exposed to a multitude of specialists with expertise in this one. So I'm really, even if you go into practice, I'm very pro internship and residency because I think that that can help build that, that foundation that's, that's going to hopefully not have any cracks in it that will end up causing, you know, you know, things not to work for, for, for a, a young doctor in the future. It's harder to, much harder to go back. It's always better to go forward and do it right the first time. In terms of, of finding a mentor, um, it's like anything in life. Some things in life happen because you focus so hard to make it happen. And some things in life happen because you were just in the right place at the right time. Um, I can think of things that I tried so hard to make happen. And then all of a sudden I did, I, something else I didn't even have to try and it came through. So I think you got to always keep your eyes and ears open. I think you always got to try and it's all about networking. It's about talking to, um, you know, uh, peers in, in your age, university professors, exploring what's out there in internships and residencies. Um, you know, unfortunately it is competitive and not all internships and residencies are created equal. 
you know, some are in private practices with not much in the way of specialists, but you know, you got to just compare and contrast, but that's why it's also very good to do the best you can in school because being a good student and being able to keep up with the pace and be, be willing to work hard because that's probably some of the hardest times of one's life is in the beginning when you're first starting your career. So, and the other thing is, is having a personality that is easy to get along with, letting things roll off you, not taking things so seriously every moment, you know, because um, life, you know what they say, shit happens, right? It's what you do with that. You know, your reality is where your mind is. It's not out here. The building could be burning and someone could be going, ah, using up all the oxygen. You sh shut up, sit down, we'll get out of here, right? I'm just saying, so if you're, if you can, <laughs> you, you need to, you need to focus on and I'm not, this is just general discussion because if you can find a place in, in your mind that can be calm and recognize that you can't control what's out there, all you can do is control what's in here. Find a program that you're gonna be the center of your program. Like you're not gonna be the one that gets flustered and you're not gonna fluster anybody else and you're gonna be fun to be around. Tell you what, that's, what, that's how I got my residency because they said, oh, I may not have been the smartest guy around, but I certainly was easy to get along with. You know, I always had a smile on my face. I was always eager to help. I was, that's what I heard. So that goes a long way. Sometimes people think, oh, I'm a straight A student. Yeah, but you're a jerk. So don't be egotistic. It isn't about you. It could be about you when you develop enough experience. It's about the team. And there's no I in team. Right. Awesome. That's great advice. And you obviously have a lot of advice, tips, and suggestions. So maybe can you let students know maybe your top three skills that they could begin to develop um, right now? Top three skills is to be a good listener. I've actually still have to learn to work on that because when I'm listening to someone, my mind is always somewhere else and I think I know what they're going to say. So sometimes I interrupt and I, 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 I've been, so anyway, that's the first thing is to, is to be a good listener. People really appreciate when you listen and you actually interact on the same level as the person you're talking to, right? The second thing is to force yourself to be organized and methodical. I've been reading and hearing that multitasking supposedly is a huge asset to have. It's not. If you have five things to do, you shouldn't be doing all five things at once. You should be focusing on what you have to do at the moment you have to do it, do it the best you can, and then move on to the next thing. 
And, and I used to think that while I was running a busy practice, people were interrupting me in my office. While I was, uh, you know, uh, writing up a record, I was watching a video, I, you know, who knows? I had everything in different places. So focus and be methodical in what you do. The last thing is, um, oh, I just I had it in my mind and it just escaped me. The first thing was be a good listener. The second thing was be methodical and focus. Oh, and the third thing is always don't accept, don't let anything get you down. Don't, don't ever give up. There's always a way if you persevere. And, you know, we all know that you didn't ride a bike when you first got on it the first time. And you know what we looked like when we got on skis. So same thing with your profession. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be tough days. There's going to be things that you're going to have to do or you're going to have to learn. If it's, if it's something that needs to be done to make you better, then you need to do it, number one. And if it's hard, you need to continue and not give up, never get frustrated because that is a little frustration is okay because it fuels you. But you know that even if it takes you 100 times, you will get it. And that's what you have to remember, that it's like the challenges you have in a gym. Anything that causes resistance in the gym builds up muscle. Anything that causes resistance in your professional work builds up emotional intelligence. And that's probably the most important factor that's going to get you through the day when you're having you know, as a doctor, and you have so many things coming your way. You have clients who are late, they may complain, you have animals that could, you know, unfortunately die at any moment. You have technicians that are, where did you want us to get the blood? What samples? They lost the blood in the lab. What do we do now? I mean, you have 17 things going your way. You could just go ah, like that. No, we just said one thing at a time. We will get through it because I could tell you how many days I had like that, that sometimes I'd be flustered. And I look back and go, you know what? Every day I had, I got through. And every day that was challenging made me stronger. And that's the third thing. Great. Um, I mean, I guess you, you've spoken about these skills, but are there any final suggestions or words of wisdom that you would give to maybe aspiring medical practitioners or maybe people that want to go into the very specialized field of neurology, what would your final tips uh, be to them? Well, I would say congratulations, because if you're not even in college and that you know it, that's what you want to do, that's wonderful. If you are in college and you know that's what you want to do, that's wonderful too, because I didn't know that I wanted to be a neurologist until my second year of my residency or the end of my first year. So I would say that you need to connect with people in the field. You need to find out if there's anything you could do to help. You need to read as much as you can. You need to, you know, just um, submerge yourself 
and there's so much on the internet and there's 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 webinars is this there's that so it's just a matter of of cultivating this interest and you know you know if you want to connect with me and and we'll make an app or something i don't know maybe i can use you on my on my platform who knows but but um those are things that that you need to do i think just surround yourself get interested um you know and just be around people who can help you because at the end of the day you're going to need recommendations if you're going to get into vet school or you know in beyond that just like this student that came to me as as a high school student i wrote a great recommendation with her, for her but it wasn't hard because she was amazing and so that's what somebody wants to say about you you are amazing i would put my reputation on the line for this person i was willing to do that for this uh this uh person that that worked with me and helped me so that would be my advice thank you very much uh thank you for sharing your experience your insight your knowledge um to the students here at vsc and i'm sure those students that will view it later uh, will greatly appreciate the knowledge uh, and insight that you have provided um, for students that want to learn more, you can visit our website at virtualstudentexperiences.com. Um, and until then, thank you guys. Thank you. You're welcome. That's it? Yep. Okay. Thank you, Beckett. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And um, if anyone needs to reach out to me, I'm more than happy to help. Thank you, you very much. Information from Beckett.